welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I'm sure many of you are wondering, now, why don't he write? Where has he been? And I got to say, man, uh, when you look at the calendar and think of where November went, it just was a blur. And so, first of all, I want to apologize to everybody. I have not pod faded. And for those uh, interviews that I had queued up for November, I apologize to those people as well because I have drugged my feet. And here it is at the point of recording this bumper right in the dead center of December, December 15th. And I was looking back and my last podcast was October 15th or 17th, somewhere around in there. So that is way too much of a gap and I apologize. So here's what I'm going to do as a Christmas gift to everyone. (laughs) And no, it's not returnable. I have four interviews in the can and I am going to go ahead and record the bumpers for all of them right now. So this is the first one you're going to hear. And the next three interviews will just have basic bumpers. Uh, I usually give updates, but we'll just we'll just throw everything in here. So all the, the next three bumpers after this will be recorded on the same day. So I won't do updates, but I'm going to release those one after the other, you know, uh, with a week gap. So that'll give you the next four weeks. We'll have four episodes, and that will give you all something to uh, enjoy over the holiday break, if anyone gets a holiday break anymore. But uh, so we'll have four weeks in a row, barring the computer blowing up or something else happening. So as we speak, I'm actually sitting outside. It is 1130 in the morning. I'm sitting outside on a beautiful (laughs) December day. Uh, It's going to hit 60 some degrees today. The sun is out. I'm sitting out here by my smoker. I'm smoking two hams for a Christmas party. I have uh, Kelly and I host a a group of um, how would we describe that? Well, that is a it's a young families class at our church, and Kelly and I are not young families, but we were we were recruited to lead that class as older, supposedly wiser uh, parents, and we have a group of people that. Um, we spend the Sundays together and just talking about God's Word and, and how to do life with young kids and kind of share our experiences, that type of thing. So tonight is our annual Christmas party. So I am smoking two hams to take there for everyone to hopefully enjoy if I don't screw them up. So that's why I'm sitting out here with my smoker. It uh, sometimes has a tendency to run a little hot at the very beginning. So I'm keeping an eyeball on it so I can damp it down. And I thought, hey, This is a perfect opportunity to sit out here with the microphone, with the computer, and bang out some podcast episodes. So that's what we're going to do. And just a quick update, and this is for an upcoming episode. Um, The reason why November was such a blur is because um, I have been thoroughly aggravated with the whole processing process of processing. So we have a new USDA processor that just came out of the gate fire and did great. Uh, They did great with my beef last year. And and this fall was the first time me taking pork to them. And it has been a Greek tragedy, I think would be the most appropriate way to put that without uh, having to put an explicit tag on this podcast. 
So uh, I will share that in an upcoming episode and just uh, how frustrating it is. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before because I sound like a broken record when it comes to processors here in West Virginia, that you go through all this trouble raising a product on pasture, the care you put into it, the daily uh, touch points, all that stuff, the ups, the downs, and then to turn that product over to somebody and it just get um, get not get treated with the attention that you would expect it to get treated with. And it's it's been upsetting. It's affected uh, some of my customers. It's obviously affected my profit margin considerably. Um, so yeah, that's another episode uh, uh, waiting to happen. And, and I, I want to get into that once I get my second round of pigs back. So you know, this... The story is yet to completely unfold, so we'll see how it goes with this next round that they have um, in process right now. So, enough of my lament and my woes. Let's get into our conversation today. And today I'm talking with a, a lovely young lady in Oklahoma. Her name is Allie Jones. And Allie's one of those people that when you start talking to you realize this is going to be a great conversation just because she's just got that personality. She's just easy to talk to, um, really is... Um, uh, yeah, positive outlook on stuff. And she has some really neat experiences to share. She's a stay-at-home mom, but taking care of pigs, doing that kind of stuff, and has this family connection. And this is where, this is one of those stories where if family can play nice together and work together, the advantages you'd have over the typical American dream attitude of, okay, you leave your folks, you go away, you go build your own thing on your own, and you maybe see extended family on the holidays and that type of stuff. She's really kind of taken that um, and, and turned it on its head and gone back kind of old school. So they are uh, sharing property with her parents and her sister, I believe, and just really being able to take advantage of that situation when it comes to not only tending the animals, but tending the, the, the kids and, and responsibilities that go along with that. But I'm not going to tell any more Allie's story. I'm going to let her tell it. And we're going to jump right in with my intro with her. So you may hear a little bit of redundancy, but I think that's the best place to start. All right. We'll talk to you guys on the tail end here. Well, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Today, we are going to talk with Allie Jones from Springfed Family Farms, and she's over in Oklahoma. So welcome, Allie. And the question I have to ask you is, uh, is your farm that place where the wind comes sweeping down the plains? You got it, Troy. So we're in Bristow, Oklahoma. I'm just outside of green country, not quite to red dirt country. But Oklahoma, we've got all of those plains where I live. Actually, it's pretty hilly. Um, we call them mountains in Oklahoma, but elsewhere, if you actually have real mountains, you would realize that they're just hills, right. in fact. Yeah, that's all relative. We say we have mountains here in West Virginia, and then then the Rocky Mountain people are like, no, hey, you don't have mountains. You've yeah, got hills. Yeah, not so, even close. Yeah, <laughs> so we get that as well. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, for those of y'all listening, Allie has got a lot going on. And so I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. But first, let's um, let's do this, Allie. I think let's go in a direction first. Give us that 40,000 foot elevation view of what you've got going on. And then we'll get into, into the history of how you ended up where you are. Oh, okay. So an interesting story. Um, I have found myself now as a pig farmer when I had, 
I'm a born and raised city girl. I have no previous experience with agriculture, farming. I had only ever seen pigs in my life at the fair. Um, but what happened was I have just always had this love for animals. And I come from a very close-knit family. We've always done like family dinners, things together. And we always had this dream of buying land outside of the city and living on it together. And this past, it was last summer, we just decided to finally turn what wanted to be a someday thing into a today thing. So we searched and searched. We found 57 acres right outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where I'm originally from. We're now in Bristow. Um, on this property, what's really cool about it, and the reason why it's called Springfed Family Farms is because our whole family actually lives there. So my parents have a cabin, me and my family have a cabin, and then my sister and her kids too. Oh, wow. And we've even expanded past the immediate family. So now we have some family friends that they came, parked their camper out there. So they're living out there as well. So we really have this whole family compound thing going on. Oh, we call those squatters out here in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like the term family compound, so we're going to go with that one. Yeah, um, yeah. Some people would say like a cult, and I'm like, no, not quite a family yeah. compound. Very good, very good. I really enjoy it, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Very good. So, um, yeah, so, all right, so let's unpack that a little bit. So, you, you, you say you had a love of animals, and you said something there I think we want to tee up on, that instead of being a later thing, you decided to make it a now thing. So, um yeah. Unpack that a little bit. Give me some of the uh, the history of that and, and why why you felt now. And, and, and I'm not going to ask you your age, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming you, you guys are a younger couple. Uh, and mm -hmm. you decided, hey, it's time to pull the trigger now versus waiting somewhere in our career to try to do this on down the road when the kids are older or the kids are grown and gone. Why did you decide to do that right now? Yeah, so there were a number of factors that led to this decision. Um, one of them being, I think that a great tragedy in life is that we make all of these plans and we don't realize that like life is passing us by and tomorrow is not promised. So that was one of the factors. Another factor just to uh, be completely transparent and lead with, lead with vulnerability, because I do believe that our strengths create competition, but our weaknesses create community. So I found myself going through this transition in life where I was going through a separation and a divorce, and I made the decision to move back to be close to family. So it was me and my kids, my parents, we were all in this one house, and we had to decide where we were going to go next. And that's when we made the decision, instead of finding, you know, a small house for us in Tulsa, let's just go ahead and chase this dream that we've always talked about. That's when we found this property and we knew it was meant to be because it already had the three houses on it. So it already had space for all of our family. So when we were making that decision, um, found the property, another thing that was happening at this time in my life is I had been staying at home with kids and it was time for me to go back to work. I started taking courses to pursue a career in real estate which I've always had a love for homes and like making a house a home. This was something that I knew I could do and I could do it well. During this time, um, before moving back, I had had chickens and I'd had horses. I gave away my chickens and horses and I just missed dearly having my animals. 
thankfully I have some friends that have a farm, um, right outside of Tulsa. It's called Prairie Creek Farms. I think you've had Nate on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. They're awesome people. So they do this thing called family farm day. Since I had missed the animals so much, we all, I packed up the kids. We went out to their farm. I had a sense of peace that I had not experienced in a very long time. And immediately after, I think it was even just that night, I messaged Nate and I said, hey, can I come volunteer at the farm? And he was like, you know what? We're starting this internship program. You should consider applying. And I thought, okay, that sounds super cool. Like I get to go play with animals outside. I'm all for it. I first of all thought that I would do this internship while I pursued real estate. But what I quickly came to realize was this is exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And before I had never considered an actual career in farming. I didn't know that was like a possibility at all. The farms that I was familiar with were these large conventional factory farms, but to actually see in person someone doing this regenerative, sustainable, where they're honoring the animals as well in the environment, I was like, yes, count me in. That is great. That is great. And and I, I appreciate your vulnerability there and and, and take you obviously took this conversation to a, a whole different level there. And, and <laughs> sorry and that, to throw that one on you. No, <laughs> no. And, and that's the thing. You know, that's as an interviewer, there's you know, there's things when you look at pre-screening, you just make certain assumptions. Right. And I try to always navigate that. But, you know, you, you've thrown out, I think, this this tentacle we we have to address and go through if you don't mind and and that is single motherhood so so yeah, absolutely so, so i'm understanding this obviously uh i, I for those of you guys obviously they're just listening you don't get to see uh, we're, we're actually doing a video chat so i, I get to see ally yeah. and so so <laughs> i am doing what what i typically do i just certainly make assumptions so i see this young lady who's who's um who's raising kids and i assume well she's 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 probably married and that's that's you know that's what's uh, that's what's you know, the, the 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 nuclear family there, but but this makes what you shared with me makes this even more <clears throat> I think a compelling story because this comes back to the compound the family compound situation that mm -hmm. how important it is and this is where I'm going to put my preaching hat on this is how how important it is for family to support family and Absolutely. and our our culture today is is really like okay get them out of the house they go out on their own and maybe we see them on the holidays type of thing but if you don't mind speak to how how beneficial it's been for you to have your parents to have your sister to now have some other friends on the property there to help you navigate single motherhood but also not just surviving but exploring mm -hmm. business opportunities, exploring your dreams, and then you know, grandparents close by hanging out, all that type of stuff. Yeah, unpack that if you don't mind, because I think that's really important. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that family has been, the reason I'm here today is because of the support from them. And I truly believe that like we are better together. We were never meant to do life alone. And it's when these our family units started breaking up, splitting apart. Um, you know, mothers are t usually living far away from family. They don't have that help nearby. But 
the way our ancestors lived was in these village communities. So, you know, the term like it takes a village to raise a child. That is so accurate. So what's so cool is, um, well, I mean, I think it's cool. Sometimes my parents get annoyed because they're probably like 20 yards from my front door. So if the kids are driving me crazy or, you know, they, I need to go take care of pigs or something. They just run over to GMA and G-Paws. And then same thing with my sister. She stays at home with kids. So she's there to help with the childcare. I can't stress enough the importance of like having that community around you. And I'm fortunate that it's my blood family, but it doesn't always have to be blood family. And that goes to show with our friends who have now started living on the farm too. So you can create this community around you, whether it be blood or just friendships, but we need to have that support system because one of the constants in life is change. And there are a lot of things that will get thrown at you. And if you have that support system to fall back on, that can help lift you back up. Like that's life giving right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And I appreciate you sharing that. I, I just think that's so important because we, we as a culture, we want to pigeonhole people so quickly and say, yes. well, because you're in this circumstance, then, then you have these needs or you have this opinion, you have this direction. And, and um, it's just really neat to see somebody pushing against the cultural odds to say, well, okay, here's a, here's a single mom. She's going to have these certain challenges. And, and while there, there are definitely single moms out there that face those challenges, it's, it's really neat to see a family unit come together. And like you said, I mean, I was, there's a lot of wisdom in what you said there with, with uh, strengths and weaknesses and, and weaknesses uh -huh. build community. And man, I agree. We, we were built to be, uh, beings of community we were not to stand alone even though you know my default is to to be as secluded as possible i, I recognize mm -hmm. that when i do that i become less of a of a positive person i'm not that fun to hang around with if i've been alone for a long time so so yeah anyway that that yeah we're obviously getting down into the spiritual philosoph uh, philosophical side of of pastured pigs and i appreciate but that's a huge part of it though it is. right it really is yeah yeah and, and like you say if, if you're just if you're just going around hammering nails and, and there's just no fun in it, and that's that's how you look at everyday drudgery is just, okay, I'm a hammer and there's a bunch of nails and I'm just going to pound them, um, then that's that's no way to go through life. And no, you see the blessing in everything, see the blessing in the challenges, see the blessing in the trial because it's going to grow us and stretch us. And I love the fact that you had an opportunity because culture dealt you a, a, a blow with your with your divorce and your separation there that you could have just crawled in a hole and, mm -hmm. and done whatever. But to embrace that, to say, okay, not only am I going to uh, not fall into that stereotype, but I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to build something. I'm going to build a career. I'm going to build an incredible experience for my kids and also build m much tighter family bonds uh, within your, your immediate family. So it's fantastic. Yeah. So, thank you. And I do have to say that, um, being a single mom, having my kids with me, that was one of the reasons why I chose to take the path of farming over real estate, because I realized that with having my own farm, um, I would be able to include my kids in my work instead of having to have them in childcare all the time while I'm driving around town showing houses, they could be by my side learning about animal husbandry and how, you know, these animals we have in our care, even when we don't feel like it, they need daily care. And one of the lessons that I try to teach my kids is that 
successful people do often what average people do occasionally. So yeah, I get it. We're tired. It's cold. I don't want to go outside and take care of pigs, but this is one of our responsibilities and something we're going to do. So it was kind of like taking what was could have been seen as a setback, but actually using it and reframing it to a set up to create this like beautiful life that we have now where we have this amazing family farm. Um, honestly, probably way too many pigs right now. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, one of the things about me growing up is I was always the kid that was bringing home random animals and, you know, making my mom angry. But then as the mom, as the adult, I realized I can bring home as many animals as I want. And chicken math, Troy, it got me and it got me good. So I started out with uh, three chickens and then, you know, years go by, you look up and you've got this farm of over a hundred pigs, some ponies, horses, lots of dogs, too many chickens to count. <laughs> but it really is like creating this incredible environment and experience for my children um, where they get to grow up on a farm caring for these animals, being outside, running around like feral little farm kids. Like that's the childhood I always wanted. And now I get to provide that for them while also like nourishing the customers that are purchasing these pork products. Like it's just now this beautiful thing that has come together from what could have been seen as a tragedy at first. Mm, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. My goodness. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of good things you said there. And, and I, I love the idea of of recognizing that fork in the road to say, okay, real estate, build a career, go after the dollar, go after, um, you know, the prestige that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe I, I'm not gonna say real estate's easier than farming, but it probably is. Um, <laughs> but, but to look at that and say, well, no, this, this isn't just me. This isn't a decision for me. This isn't what makes me happy or what, do, what do I really want to go after? This is, uh, taking into consideration the kids. And yeah, if you would have been a real estate agent, you would have been gone all hours of the day, weekends, mm -hmm. all those type of things. And you had your support structure there, so you, but you'd be pushing the kids off on sister and, and the folks and those type of things. Versus this direction, those, and again, I know I'm preaching to the choir with all the people listening that you know, mm -hmm. we don't have a bunch of city folk listening, we have a bunch of, of pig farmers listening and they, <laughs> and they get it. Yeah, it's hard, but there's just so much life lesson that comes from that. There's going to be so much benefit your kids get in having that experience with mom in the mud on the farm versus, um, yeah, we got to see mom for two hours today or we got to see mom a little bit this weekend type of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And, and I applaud your, your decision there to go in that direction. Um, Thank you. I appreciate so, it. So yeah, you, you, and you've you've got a there's a question. We'll get to this question a little bit. There's a question that just keeps rattling <laughs> around in my mind, and and I have to say I, I am a self-confessed cynic sometimes, but um, and and we'll get to that. And that's that's someone who a lover of animals who also provides protein for people to consume. And we'll get to that. I'm gonna stick a pin in that question. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, we we've we've danced around the issue of there's a lot of animals on your farm. So so let's unpack that. What do you have as far as piggery goes and then maybe some of the other polyculture things you do and, and how that fits into a business model for you. Okay. So when it comes to pigs, I will tell you that I've tried just about every breed out there. Um, starting out, it was very difficult to source quality heritage breed pigs. So what I'm primarily running is heritage breed pasture raised, rotationally grazed. 
Um, I'm looking for a specific type of pig, but I'm also a sucker for a cute pig too, Troy. <laughs> so like I want the pigs to be, you know, cute. So I've tried everything from Idaho pasture pigs, cooney coonies, um, red wattles have tended to be some of my favorites. Right now on the farm currently, I have a lot of red wattles. I have a breeding group of a Berkshire boar, some spot sows, a Duroc sow. I'm really, really enjoying enjoying the farrowing side of things. Um, so I've really played around with a lot of different breeds of pigs, but I think that that's a really great thing to do because it gives you the opportunity to see what type of breed not only works best for your farm, but what you enjoy, because you really do have to make it enjoyable to make the labor worth it. And then when it comes to the other animals, honestly, the horses and ponies, those are just more for uh, therapy and because I love them so much. And I do so sometimes say that selfishly, I have pigs so that they can clear some of the overgrown wooded areas on the property to make more pasture space for my horses and ponies. Right. Um, there's nothing more enjoyable to me than stepping outside and seeing my little tiny ponies running around the front yard and also I'm a big believer in the benefits of animal therapy, specifically equine therapy. So that's why I have the horses. But for the business side of things, I'm focused on pastured pork. Um, sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of you start doing one animal and you want to move on, you know, add another species. Instead, I have decided to just focus on raising pigs raising them well, making a profit, and then maybe we'll grow from there. But right now, I feel like I found my sweet spot with pigs. And it actually comes from my first animal love being dogs. And when pigs are raised the right way, they're a lot like dogs. So they're playful, they can be trained, they love belly rubs and ear scratches. So for right now, the only actual like business or product that we're selling, it's pastured pork, but I'm just so happy. And also, my plate is full with the pigs. <laughs> yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's that's good. And and I yeah, I don't want to. Uh, I, I call horses and, and ponies hay burners, but I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely get um, the the therapy side of it. I I've seen that in, in some of the nonprofits I work with. I see that that is there's a very valuable resource there. Uh, a horse is a beautiful animal. Um, there's no doubt about it. But yeah, I, I like to I like to rib horse owners about having hay burners, but. That's fine. But they're cute. Hey, burners. That's <laughs> right. it. They're cute. Exactly. I like to just go outside and take videos of the ponies like acting crazy. And yeah, well, I mean, that's again, <laughs> it it's, me it, happy. it's whatever floats your boat. I, I joke about dogs. Dog used to the alpha dog used to protect the family and, and, and hunt for the family. And now people carry them around in their purses. So it's, yeah. it's just it's just whatever fits your needs. And, and, and that's good. Okay, so um, rotational process with your pigs on pasture, it sounds like. And, I, well, i got to ask you, because you said red wattles, and this is my first year with red wattles. Um, are your red wattles as, as mouthy as mine are? Mine are just, they when it's feeding time, they just make a noise constantly. It's like, I, I thought well. it was because I got them from Molly, and they're cussing me all the time, but... Um, I would say that because I have the Cooney Coonies, the Red Waddles seem like they are the quiet ones because no. the Cooney Coonies are screamers. Like when it comes to feeding time, they are the most vocal animals. I will say that the Red Waddles, when they are younger, they are the most rambunctious and difficult to keep inside 
seconds. But then once they get older, they seem to be like some of the chillest pigs I have on the yeah. property. And for that reason, that's one of the reasons I really like them. And plus, I think it's just so beautiful when you're looking out at the green woods and you see this red hog sitting there underneath a tree munching on some roots. Like I said, I'm a sucker for a cute pig and I just think they're adorable. Yeah. Plus they finish out really well too. I mean, we do have to get to the logistics side of things. Um, I found that with the red wattle large blacks, I didn't like their feed conversion ratio or how quickly they were finishing out compared to the red wattles. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that I'll stay with red wattles um, for that much longer. I do like the idea of crossing maybe like a red wattle boar with a land race mama because they've just been bred to have those great uh, farrowing genes and farrowing has turned out to be my favorite part of raising pigs on pasture even more so than just raising the feeders yeah yeah very good very good i agree Far farrowing is is exciting it's a challenge um but there's nothing greater than having a new batch of piglets on farm and and seeing that uh that miracle of life happen right there very cool mm -hmm. very cool so all right so now <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> here we go now I'm going to take the pen out of the question. So, okay. so an animal lover who has, because uh, we haven't gotten to this yet, but you also do some some pig rescue with some pot bellies, I believe. So how yeah. does a how do, how do you navigate that? How do you take off the hat of, oh, this is a beautiful animal, I love it, it's going to live out its days on the farm, and then you look at the one beside it and say, okay, you're going to become pork chops. How how, yeah. do, you, how do you navigate that um, in your soul, basically? Yeah. Well. Okay, so this is a great question and one I'm often asked and had to deal with because growing up, I actually didn't eat a lot of meat. I never ate pork because I had seen the videos of the way that animals were raised in CAFOs. And because of that reason, it was just not appetizing to me. So how can someone claim to be an animal lover and yet raise these animals to end up being consumed? The way I look at it is people are going to eat pork regardless. So it is my job to offer a, a product that not only honors the pig, um, it regenerates the environment and also nourishes the consumer at the end. So with my pigs, I like to say that they live a really happy life. They have one bad day, but people are going to eat pork regardless. So I'm going to give them a better alternative to what's out there in the conventional market. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, that's good. And, and, you know, it's funny when we go down these, uh, these pointless debates, it seems like uh, the end game is for the, the person who's so anti uh, farm animal to say, no, they all need to live out their days. Um, you know, these domesticated animals, if we weren't consuming them, then eventually they would no longer exist because there would be mm -hmm. no reason to be breeding and, and, and managing a domesticated animal if it wasn't for the consumption of it. Um, so it's, it's funny they say, well, you don't, you shouldn't terminate its life to eat its flesh. And it's like, well, then if you don't do that, then you're pretty much eradicating it from existence sooner or later anyway. So it's. Yeah, absolutely. And it also comes back to just like what you believe personally. Like I do believe that, um, protein and meat are some of the healthiest products that we can be consuming. I think that that's one of the reasons why animals are on this planet. And when it comes to um, if you are going to eat meat, I think that we all have a duty to look for ethically sourced meat. So that's just one of my main goals. And one of the reasons why I also love 
bringing people out to the farm because when they can actually see how these pigs are being raised, it really helps you understand and places the emphasis on why supporting sustainable, regenerative, ethical, ethically raised meat is so important. There is a difference. And then, so I have a 10 year old son. He's not really interested in farming at all, but he does help out at the farmer's market. I call him my farm operator. He likes to run the register, but he said one day that happy pigs make better bacon and he couldn't be more true. Like you really can taste the difference. And so that's how I look at it. Like I'm going to give these pigs the absolute best life and then they are gonna go on to nourish the families that are consuming this product. And when I've done that, I've honored both ends, including the environment. That's how I can sleep at night, knowing that I really did what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and and I think that's spot on. I, I'm as we're sitting here talking, I'm looking out the window, and since we've gotten some rain uh, and and broken a, a small drought we've had, I'm seeing some red wattles playing and flipping around in the mud and just having a good old time. And and in about 45 days, they're going to end up at freezer camp. But until that time comes, they're just having a great life on the pasture. Yes. And if it wasn't for the fact that they're going to end up in freezer camp, they wouldn't be here. They most likely wouldn't have been farrowed in the first place. So, yeah, it is. It is very interesting. And I, and I appreciate um, when when we as producers take a deeper look at that and and really appreciates the the stewardship that we're tasked with when it comes to an animal. It's it's not an inanimate object. It's not. Um, it, it is a life. It is something that we are responsible for taking uh, taking care of. And if it has a good quality life, then it pays us back with a good quality product afterwards. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons why, even though. Um, it may seem that, you know, oh, a female pig farmer or women aren't as involved in agriculture. I really think that women specifically are made for regenerative agriculture because at the heart of it, it's it's nurturing and providing envi- the environment and love and care for an animal so that it can reach its full potential. And as women especially as like mothers, like that is our nature right there to be nurturers. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I feel like for women um, specifically, this is an area that we should be involved in. Not only can we do it, but we can thrive in this environment too. Yes. Yeah, I I, I agree. And and you see farming has been a boys club for so many generations. Um, But like you said, this regenerative ag, this, this alternate option, it does land toward, and you see more and more women. In fact, I I think um, bias wise, we're probably about fifty fifty with with our customer or with the customers with our interviewers interviewees that we've had on the podcast. And it seems like, yeah, the 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 women they get in there, they get their hands dirty, they they they're not afraid of working, but they do have this extra sensitivity that I think comes comes in handy. Uh, especially when you look at a, f- a farrow to finish operation, that that mothering instinct translates over to uh, farrowing and and uh, that care that's needed there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay, okay, so let's 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 look at 
let's look at, at the uh, economics of this. So I, I want to talk about the direction you, you have. So you have multiple streams of income, even though you're focusing primarily on income generated from pigs. I'd like to talk about that a little bit, and and you can kind of unpack how you're paying for all this hay for those uh, hay burners. So. <laughs> well, the horses are also rotationally grazed. Um, so I am actually spending very little on hay except for throughout the winter. Sure. So. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. But yeah, explain. I, I know you've got a lot going on there. So give me all the tentacles of income streams you have out of pork. Yeah. So, I mean, the main one being we're selling retail cuts at a local farmer's market doing a home delivery service. Um, I started doing whole and half hogs and that's been really fun and really successful so far. And then another thing that we started doing was once again, going back to what at first was a setback. Um, I had this freezer full of lard and I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with all this lard? But then I reframed it and was like, what can I do with all of this lard? And at the time I was using, um, a tallow-based skincare product. I was like, we should just do this with, um, the lard. So I started making these different lard products. I, I do just like a rendered cooking lard, um, some skincare ones that are really good for like eczema, dry skin, also a magnesium sleep cream. And that's been really fun for me. I think that there's this natural progression that occurs. First, people start taking a look at the foods they're eating, and then they want to start looking at their household and skincare products and cleaning those up as well. So to be able to provide, first of all, meat and be like a trusted source for their food and then to add on, oh, you're ready to look at your skincare. We'll look at what I've got for you here as well. Awesome. Very good. Very good. So is your is your primary source of sales through the market, not only for your skincare products, but uh, obviously for your uh, attaining, obtaining customers for the holes and halves and the individual cuts? Is that? Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, primarily the farmer's market, um, and then also social media, like I cannot place enough emphasis on the power of social media and marketing through there, especially as a small farm where you don't have a large marketing but budget. Um, word of mouth is really great. Um, because I'm from Oklahoma, born and raised in Tulsa, I've established a lot of relationships with people here. And so it's just been mainly through farmer's market and word of mouth. That's how I've been selling the pork that I produce. And honestly, Troy, like I don't see the farm growing much more on the pig size side. I really think that I've found my sweet spot when it comes to the number of pigs I'm doing on the farm. That's not to say I won't add an additional farmer's market, but what I really want to do is just have this farm, um, you know, a small, simple farm, but with a big impact. And so I don't see the direction growing much further on pig production side, but more so leaning towards the agro-tourism side, because I think that when you can get people out to the farm and they can see firsthand what you're doing or how a pig is raised, that's where it really starts to make the change for people. Mm. So that's looking towards the future of the farm. That's the area that I want to start growing in more. Okay. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about that here in a second, because I... Yeah, uh, th this all builds on this this idea that we as regenerative farmers have to make sure we don't fall into the um, the mindset 
that to grow a farm, it's all about scaling up, being bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and bigger. And so it, it requires bigger facilities, bigger infrastructure, bigger equipment to handle all of that. And it just becomes more and more of a large investment. And of course, uh, with a regenerative model requires more and more land. Mm-hmm. And, and, and labor. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love what you're doing. You're looking at you know value added services at the mm-hmm. size that you're operating. So taking a pig and turning it into holes and halves, you know, the, the, the most basic, then individual cuts, which values add, which value adds the individual price of those because it allows people to buy on smaller scale. And then home delivery value added, you know, we have a home delivery service as well. The value added there, you can charge a little bit more uh, because of the convenience factor of home delivery. And then uh, skin care products based on uh, what some people would see as waste, uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they Absolutely. do, uh, of a product. And then uh, before we get into agritourism, I got I to gotta ask you about piggy pancakes because you put that in your pre-screening. So, so yeah. what's some, the, another value-added service at the market are piggy pancakes. So what the heck is a yes. piggy pancake? Okay, so because there is a huge market for prepared foods, um, you know, I'm sitting there at the farmer's market selling my retail cuts. And then right down the road, there's somebody selling sandwiches for $16. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong business, Troy. <laughs> you know, And so that's where the idea comes in to have these prepared foods at the farmer's market, because then you can get people to taste your product as well. And once they taste it, um, then that's when you can get them to buy in. And so it's not just like the piggy pancakes, but a few other things that you can do to for value add is like take and bake meals. So where you take some of your pork, um, you create this like dinner in a dish that people can buy frozen. All they have to do is take home, pop it in the oven. There's a few other things that I've been doing, um, like a sandwich ham. So it's smoked, cured, fully cooked, thinly sliced. Um, so as you know, the busy mom I am, I'm always looking for ways to cut steps so that I can get healthy food to my kids still and to my family. But how can I do it quicker since we're always so crunched for time? So those are a few other things that I think that you can add in. So not just the plain retail cuts, but some of those value add products. And that's definitely going to help on your profit for pigs. So instead of adding more pigs, how do you maximize profit on the pigs that you're already raising? Yeah. Very good. Very good. So, so what you've, you've uh, uh, named the piggy pancake, I assume is, is probably a pork product inside a pancake that you're producing there on the fly. Yeah. yeah that's I awesome. love a good alliteration. <laughs> so piggy pancake was just a win. I mean, it's kind of like a McGriddle, you know, so my sister's an incredible uh, sourdough maker. She makes these amazing sourdough pancakes and then just taking our pre-made breakfast sausage patties, sticking mm-hmm. that on there. And there's your piggy pancake, Troy. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and it's funny that that's the thing we've discovered because um, with our home delivery business and the cottage laws that we have now in West Virginia, I don't know what cottage laws are like in Oklahoma, but we can produce in residential kitchens. We don't have to have a commercial kitchen to produce uh, baked goods, desserts. You know, we have to stay away from dairy and and, and meat uh, without getting a health. Uh, health inspectors involved, but that's allowed us with our home delivery. We, we value add the fact that I have protein. So we sell our pork, we sell our chicken and I, I basically pin hook beef from a couple other farms. So we're providing beef cuts and 
and what's neat, you know, that obviously comes in cycles. You know, we have a lot of inventory, then the inventory decreases. We have a lot of inventory again, and the inventory decreases. But one mm -hmm. thing we have constant is the value-added service of what we call the bakehouse. And that's my uh, teenage son who's, you know, a really good baker. So he's baking breads, he's doing desserts, he's doing all that. And, and so far, those are the larger units of items we're moving right now. And That's we're getting awesome. ready to get a re-inventory re, uh, of, of pork. So we'll see how that moves the needle when that comes back in. But yeah, right now, it's, it's really neat to see how the prepared baked goods, you know, ready to eat, brought to your door, have really enhanced the business model. And of course, you know, the markup on baked goods is ridiculous. Yeah. So. Well, because people want convenience, you know, and so if we can provide a product that is healthy and convenient, like that's a win right there. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So let's let's move over to agritourism then, because this is something I think is, is fascinating, especially as as we as producers embrace the regenerative model more, embrace this ethical farming more and 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 push away more and more from scaling up and being big and being industrial looking. Um, there there's a I don't want to call it sex appeal, but there's 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 a value to that, right? There people see that and they see this is kind of the old ways. There's 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 a benefit in coming and seeing and experiencing that versus saying, hey, you know, come to ICAFO where I've got a building with 20,000 hogs in it and enjoy the day. Yeah, no. Not, not going to happen. But coming to your farm and experiencing what you've got, the eclectic variety of animals, and of course, seeing something that actually functions. So so tell me more about that. What, what do you have? What are you doing for, uh, uh, for the visuals? But what are you also doing for the actual residency? Where are they staying? Okay, so... What we're doing right now um, is mainly we do, you know, kind of taking ideas from Prairie Creek where we're doing farm days, where we invite customers, you know, people from the public to just come visit the farm. You can do a farm tour, see how these pigs are raised. We've got um, the little potbelly pigs that the kids can go pet, uh, chickens galore. Um, somebody once said that city folk love visiting farms, and it's just true, you know. When you drive outside of the city, you come to a farm, you can just take a big breath of fresh air. And that's what I want to be able to provide is just that escape and that experience for people so that they can experience the benefits of spending time in nature with their families. I think that right there is one of the best things that we can do. And what makes me so excited, and you touched on it earlier, if we continue to grow as a small farmer on the production side, that's going to be more infrastructure, more labor, more cost. So what can we do to bring in more revenue without having to increase all of those things? It's simply invite people out to the farm or, you know, do farm workshops, uh, some sausage making classes, mocktails in the garden. We've got a really cool garden set up. Um, summer camps for kids where they can come out and learn how to be a farmer. I have a dream one day of doing a cowgirl camp. Not quite there yet, but one day we will do it. So it's really like, think about what you're interested in um, and run with that. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And, and so, so in that aspect, you're, you're not even looking at providing in my mind, agritourism, I go to 
you know, like Airbnbs and stayovers, but you're you're looking at day events where yeah. there's there's a cover charge, of course, to come in. And and I was looking at your your list of different things you have here. So so whether it's come in and just tour the farm. Uh, farm to table experience you have uh, homeschooler co-ops and local schools all those type of things coming in um, to to not only allow them to experience but maybe there's a tasting maybe there's an educational element to it um, all of those things again just keep value adding the services for the people that are stepping foot on your farm to enjoy yeah absolutely so we don't even, most of the tours, um, they're not ticketed at all. So they're free because I don't want to prevent anyone from experiencing the farm. But what we do is on the tail end, we'll have our market booth set up where we sell meat that way. Or I'm capturing emails along the way to send out about home delivery service. Very good. Because, um, like I said, I really want to make the farm accessible to anybody and everybody. And also, it's a great marketing tool when people come out to your farm and they want to take pictures of their kids chasing around some cute little pigs. Mm -hmm. So yeah. because we live and work on the farm, I'm not really focused on building like an Airbnb or something like that. But if you have the space, that's a great area to explore for me it's more so just the the tours the homeschool co-op co-op farm tours and doing the workshops that's what we're exploring right now yeah yeah and then it looks like you you're, you're maybe looking next spring you'll actually do some some uh paper plate dinner activities on the farm as well right yes yeah i mean because first i'm a foodie you know so that's one of the reasons i even got into this local food movement is because I really enjoy, I love good, uh, a good meal. Um, one of my love languages is cooking for people. <laughs> so how cool to offer this experience where people can come to your farm and the food that they are eating was raised by the same hands that are serving you. Like that's a really cool experience that I want to offer. And those dinners would be ticketed. So like a date night kind of thing. Um, I'm really excited about doing that in the future. Right now at the farm, there is some infrastructure that goes into this. We're building a large covered pavilion area so that we can have, you know, a nicer setup for when we do these on-farm dinners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know, for the business side of this, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out that, yeah, you, know, you have to do your homework on this as well. So you've got liability concerns, you've got biosecurity concerns. Those things you have to take in, and, and there's risks that come with that. So I assume you've explored all of those situations as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so you've got to have a good liability insurance. We've got signs up before you even enter the gates. Um, we don't allow animals on the property. So before anybody comes out to the farm, we send out a little flyer about like the rules, expectations, um, you know, wear dirty clothes or wear shoes you don't care about. Don't bring your dogs. So yeah, you definitely, before inviting people into your farm, um, check with the insurance agent, make sure you're fully covered because that's something that you don't want to mess with. And I will tell you that as much as I love people, you have to realize that people often do dumb things. So make sure you're really, really covered and have signs visible everywhere, Troy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I remember uh, we had a homeschool co-op group come out one time because uh, our, our boys were homeschooled as well. And and you could tell who the city kids were and who the country kids were because the country kids were over there trying to convince the city kids to touch the electric fence. Yes. And, uh, oh, it doesn't hurt that bad. And it was, so it was kind of fun to watch. And, and it was, yeah, it was a learning experience, we'll say, for everyone. Uh, because once the city kids started crying, then the country kids got in trouble. 
for making, yeah yeah number but, one rule is don't touch the hot wire and still <laughs> we will have kids try to touch the hot wire so just to be safe i go ahead and turn off the fences because pigs are smarter than you realize um even if the fence is off they won't mess with that boundary so just right. to be safe even though i tell people don't touch the hot wire i go ahead and turn it off before we actually have people out there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah that's that's usually what you run to it's just like well okay let's let's take the fun element out of it and just turn it off everyone yeah <laughs> very good very good so um so how are you in this situation looking at this um from a business standpoint how are you measuring profitability? Because I know there's a lot of lines blurred here, right? Because it, it, it's not as easy to say, okay, uh, you know, child care this, food that, uh, these expenses, you, uh, all the things, the value added you're getting, you're building into it. How are you measuring profitability right now? Okay, well, I will tell you, Troy. So initially, I did not do this very well. Um, I think that people who are drawn to farming, they love animals being outside the physical labor. We've got that part down, but it's nailing the business side and the marketing side that can be a little bit trickier. But I would argue that's the most important part um, because if you're not making money, you're not gonna be able to do this. And so um, I, big, big, big fan of podcast books. I came across a podcast called The Dirt on Flowers. And while it's hosted by two flower farmers, what they mainly talk about is running a successful farm business. Mm -hmm. And these principles that they cover are applicable no matter what it is you're raising or growing on your farm. And through their podcast, I found a book called Profit First. And it's by Mike McCowowitz. It's a mouthful, sorry. Mm -hmm. But um, it's basically this method to managing finances where you take a percentage of income to set aside as profit before you calculate any expenses. The goal is to allocate 10% of all of your income to profit. But even if you aren't there yet, just start with 1% because if your business can function on 100%, then it can function on 99%. And it's basically about the point of getting into the habit of paying yourself for all of your labor mm -hmm. and putting profit first. So I would say that the way that I've been able to become profitable and make this an actual business and not just a hobby or like a dream, a passion I wanted to pursue was really leaning into how our successful businesses run, knowing what the basic business principles are, and then applying those to the farm side of things. So it means you've got to know your numbers. Another really great takeaway was you need to, as soon as you're setting up your farm, separate your personal and your business accounts. Because if you're using your personal account to fund your farm, then you will forever be funding your farm. <laughs> and I'm saying this as someone who personally funded her farm for the first six months. So like, it's, it's difficult, but it's necessary to get that of the business down so that you can continue to do this thing that you love so dearly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's great, and 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 you you said something there, and that's that's an interesting take. I'm not familiar with that book, but that's an interesting take on on business okay. development. And but I appreciate, and I think something that really resonates with us as as producers is we really disregard the value of our time um, mm -hmm. because we're so bought in on the farm that 
that we, we tend to not take that into consideration. So if we're not looking at the value of our time and we're not looking at how do I get compensated for this or how do mm -hmm. I factor that into my equation, then what happens is five years, 10 years, three years down the road, we're, we're burnt out. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. this, this farm seems to be making money, but yet I'm still just so stressed. And then you, when you sit down and actually pencil in your labor, you realize, well, no, you're, you're running yourself ragged for maybe a 15% margin because you haven't taken those other things into consideration. So, so I like yeah. that approach to, to set aside money. It's almost like you're tithing to yourself to some degree and that you're setting aside a percentage uh, to, to, uh, Maybe it's maybe it's good mental health at that point. You're investing in your own mental health when you set aside that money on the front end side. Yeah, well, absolutely. So like initially when you're establishing your prices, most people are just looking at their hard costs. So, you know, um, their feed, the cost of the piglet processing, whatever it may be. But don't forget to account your soft costs, which includes your labor in there, too, when you're coming up with your price per pound for pork. So that's like a really big thing to do early on. And I know it's easy because it's like, oh, you know, I love this. I don't need to be paying myself. But you do need to put value on yourself and the work you are doing so that it can become sustainable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good deal. Good deal. Well, we are, it's hard to believe we've almost gone, a, gone an hour and I know we could probably spend another hour talking about uh, some yeah. good stuff here. <laughs> well, let me give you the opportunity because um, I, 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 in your pre-screening, you had some good closing advice and I, I want to let you share that with, with our audience when it comes to, yeah, maybe there's some people listening that aren't quite to the point where they want to pull the trigger on taking a a couple of pigs uh, from a homestead level to a business or getting in a situation where they could maybe take it full time because it's something they really love. What, what would your advice be to them? Uh, this is kind of tough. I would say that first you have to make the decision. Um, you have to decide this is what you're going to do. Once that decision is made, you have to build a plan, action steps that you can follow. Because if it's just this dream, this one day thing, you'll never actually get there. So I really love like takeaways, action steps, write it down on paper. If this is something that you want to do, how are you going to make it work for you and where you are in your life? And then go after it because the most rewarding thing in the entire world is when you can marry your passions with your career. And you put those things together and that right there is a successful life. Doesn't mean that you have to make a ton of money because I will say, you know, they're not that much money in pigs, but <laughs> when when you absolutely love it, it definitely makes it, it makes it worth it. Yeah, very good, wonderful. Well, Allie, I gotta ask you the question I ask everybody, what is your, what is your favorite thing about raising pigs on pasture? Oh, I wish I could just tell you all the things because I love pigs so much. But because um, we're short on time, there are two parts to my favorite things. Um, one of my favorite things is bringing pigs to people. So having the opportunity to bring pigs to schools or to different events and 
for kids that have never maybe, you know, pet a pig before and holding a piglet, the kid gets to pet the piglet, the piglet squealing, the kid squealing that right there, that fills my cup. And then the other part of that is bringing people to the pigs. So yesterday I had a girl come shadow out at the farm because she's studying environmental ethics. And while I had all these things planned that we could work on, we spent most of the day sitting in the dirt down on our hands and knees, just looking at the piglets. You know, there's nothing greater than seeing some tiny little baby piglets with their noses covered with dirt from them rooting around and then seeing the joy on somebody's face when they get to just like sit in such a calm, relaxing environment and just look at a pig and realize like how beautiful this creature is. And then to then be able to provide that to people and that experience. That's, that's really my favorite thing. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Well, wonderful. Well, if people want to find out more about your farm and, and what you've got going on there, do you have, uh, do you have an online presence you can share with us? Absolutely. The power of social media, Troy, it really works. Right. Um, so it's spring fed family farms. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, um, and then I also have a website. It's springfedfamily.farm. If you want to get in contact, uh, any of those routes, uh, because something that we didn't touch on but is really, really important to me is finding some pig friends. And if you don't have any pig friends, you know, whenever you're dealing with an issue with a pig, you don't know what's going on, to have people where you can send pictures or videos and be like, hey, what's going on? Can you help me? That's so valuable. So if you don't have any other pig friends, hi, my name's Allie and I really love pigs. You can reach out to me <laughs> any of those ways. There you go. All right. So if you're looking for pig friends, Allie is volunteering there. Well, we'll, uh, we'll list your information in the uh, show notes so people can find that as well. Well, Thank I you, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, it, it was, it's really energizing to talk to somebody like you and, and to have oh. uh, be able to to just you know pick up on the energies you have and the excitements you have and and it's great it's uh it's very invigorating so i really Thank appreciate you, you coming on the show i appreciate it um one more thing i'm uh -huh. so sorry is that a quote that i like to live by is people will often forget what you say but they won't forget how you made them feel so that compliment that means the world to me thank you troy i so appreciate this oh, absolutely well i pray you have a great week all right. Well, there we go. Another great interview. Really enjoyed talking with Allie. Really appreciate uh, what she's got going on there. And, you know, kind of just, just kind of taking on some social norms in a different different direction. And, and I don't know, I just, there's something about that that I just, I just love. The, the idea of family working together like that on a piece of property and all that can be done, the improvements that can be made. I think we could all learn a little lesson from that. Well, this is number one in the books, so uh, God willing that things continue, we will get into episode two in our box set of four, so uh, that will come out in seven days. Again, if everything goes as planned, this is, I always hesitate saying things like this in advance, but at the time of recording this bumper, I'm going to hit stop here, and I'm going to start the next one, so I'll get them all in the queue, and as long as technology plays nicely with me, then we'll have them there. All right, Rob, I appreciate everybody watching. Appreciate you watching. You're not watching. You're listening. Appreciate everybody listening and appreciate those sticking with me, especially the Patreon people still sticking with me, even though we had a, a lull there of, of two months. 
But we're hopefully going to get back on the horse and, and keep things plugging away. If you know anybody who wants to be on the podcast or you've got any subjects, topics you want to discuss, by all means, just send me an email, Troy, at redtoolhouse.com. All right, y'all take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 